I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Hey, Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm great. So last night was actually the second meeting of the year. They'd had one previous meeting last week, which set forth all of the meeting dates, which we'll post on our website. So folks can put those on our calendars if they're interested. Well, right. And and they voted back in the chair and the vice chair. Jerry Robinson was continued as chair of the school committee and Michael O'Neill was voted in continuing to be vice chair. And there was no dissent from anybody. It was pretty perfunctory. So kind of no change. And yet it's a new year. Is There's no change. It's a new year. There was opportunity for change, which clearly didn't happen. And there continues to be a lot of conversation about should this committee move to an elected school committee? Should the public elect the members? External conversation that basically is saying, hey, we want the school committee to be more accountable to the public. They should be elected by the public. And that is not the case. Mayor Wu appointed the same members and we have the same leadership of the school committee. So we, we should probably expect the same. Yeah. So let's get into the superintendent's report. Yeah. So Jill, Superintendent Skipper talked first about COVID and COVID-19 and really about the all hands on deck approach that the district is taking to ensure that all of our classrooms have coverage. So she spoke about making sure that staff absences were covered by central office staff, which is really refreshing that they have a structure now that if staff are out, that central office staff will be deployed. It does appear that student absences are down from last year at this time. Which is great. um, Which is great. Although there is still a lot of viruses and other illnesses going on in our schools. The mask suggestion from the district will end tomorrow and we'll have to see if they extend that. But the district did recommend that all staff and students wear masks in schools. And then we heard a little bit about school choice numbers that they're actually up this year in the first round of school choice. So Jill, this is the time when New families and families who are new to the district are choosing schools and registering for schools. Well, they're up because there's a bigger pool of folks who can apply. They moved kindergarten students, which is pretty much the largest group of registrants, into the first round. So it's not apples to apples, but it's great that there are, (laughs) whatever, 900 plus families who are registered. That's right. Over, you know, 450 last year. And the bulk of the people who would be enrolling have been moved up in the process. That's right. And then we heard the superintendent actually dusted off a proposal from our previous superintendent, Brennan Casilius, that there should be a transportation advisory council. We didn't hear about the members of this group, but we heard that there'll be some group put together that will help the district create changes on the transportation system. This has been a recommendation previously, you know, it was a big announcement previously, never happened. never happened. It's another big announcement, just happens to be on the same night as the report from the Council of Great City Schools on the transportation system. Here's my point of view on this. If, if there's going to be an advisory council for transportation, what they should be advising on is all of the data that we need to collect and ensure that it's collected in order to make the best decision. Once you have all the data, let's let a non-human take over. Let's just feed that information into an AI who can actually output, I think, a much better solution, a much more elegant solution than what the city's been able to come up with over year and year and year and again, but it doesn't sound like we have all the data. We'll get into that. We'll get into it. And Jill, it sounds like you're just making a strong pitch for you being on this advisory committee. I'm happy to, you know, I do have a point of view on some data that's missing, but, you know, I'm also happy to sit on the sidelines and just mention that to someone. <laughs> um, and then lastly, Jill, we heard about the safety position. So, the, you know, safety continues to be a concern. 
in and around our schools for our students and our staff. We heard just last week that there was a staff member who was assaulted outside one of our schools, which is mm -hmm. just, it's just an incredibly concerning. Scary, um, sad. It's, for every, like every yeah. family, every student, every community member who hears about something like that is, it, it just, it, it shakes you because our schools should be places, our community should be places where you feel safe, where you feel a sense of belonging. And when somebody is hurt, it makes you want to say, like, how, this cannot happen in and around our schools. Right. And there's a lot of debate around what is the right way to deal with this, right? And we've heard about restorative justice. We've heard that there needs to be stronger school cultures. Yes, yes, yes. There needs to be more mental health supports for our students. After this pandemic, when we're all coming out of this, feeling in a, in a, when we were isolated and now we're trying to figure out how we get along with one another, right. those are all important issues. And, and... We need to ensure that our students feel safe wherever they go and our staff feel safe wherever they go. And some people say that that also includes metal detectors. It also should include additional personnel, safety personnel in and around our schools. Well, in addition to safe, kids need to feel loved. And it just, you know, it's very apparent that they're, they don't and, yeah. and they're acting out. And, you know, we hear later from in public comment from a, from a parent, but another example of this, we, we really need to focus on love. So Jill, that, that was essentially the superintendent's report last night. And, and then we jumped into public comments and, you know, there's 22 public comments last night, Jill, nothing on budget. This is like the budget season, right? Budgets mm. are out. Well, there's money. There's just money everywhere. So what are you going to complain about? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. At this time, typically in any given Soft year, landings, around in this time in January, we'd have lines of people from school saying, you know, you're cutting us here or we need this position or these positions. And we didn't hear a single comment from anybody last night about budget. And this is the prime budget season. Yeah. So I think you're right, Jill. There is more money out there than we've ever had before. And it doesn't appear to be any budget challenges. Not a problem. We did hear from a number of community members about COVID concerns mm -hmm. and wanting to make masking mandatory. The district did say that we are asking all students and staff to mask in schools until tomorrow. That's eight days of masking from returning from the holiday break. But this group wanted it to be mandatory. And Jill, just one of the problems of making anything mandatory is that the remedy is if you refuse to wear a mask, you can't go to school. And it's actually illegal to prohibit a child from accessing education. So I think the district is trying to say we recommend masks. I think we should, you know, if, if you believe we should have masking in schools and everyone should model that and from the top down and wear masks. Yeah. But that was that conversation, a public comment. And then, as you alluded to, Jill, we heard from a parent, really a quite compelling comment of her concern about bathrooms and mm -hmm. safety. Kids are scared to go to the bathroom. Lots of kids are really, really scared. They don't know if they're going to get jumped. They don't know if they're going to get attacked. The bathroom doors are kept open so as to make sure bad things don't happen, I imagine. But there's feces on the walls, on the floor. It's really disturbing. And with the door open, then a classroom is right next to it and they can hear everything. People are scared they're going to get videoed in the bathroom. The urinals don't have guards. It's a disaster. And I... I can't believe that kids have to spend the whole day there and that I don't know how they can learn if they're this uncomfortable. And Jill, this is, I think this resonates with a lot of families in BPS, right? Who, yeah. who are like, yeah, the bathrooms are not only gross, they don't give you a sense that like, 
you feel safe in them. You typically a lack of doors. There's a lack of mirrors. It doesn't feel like a place you actually feel comfortable using the bathroom. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't feel like a safe place for anybody. And and I think her comment resonates like with all, uh, at least it does with uh, people that I know. This is the broken windows kind of theory here is that we should, our bathrooms should be reflective of the learning community that we have. They should be beautiful places. We should invest in renovating our bathrooms. And if we have bathrooms that are not well kept, people will continue to vandalize them. Right. And if you walk into lots of those bathrooms, they're more than not well kept. I mean, they're just really kind of disgusting. I mean, the reason that these things that she talked about are happening is because kids aren't feeling safe. Kids aren't feeling cared for. Kids aren't feeling loved. And so these are they're acting out, right? Yeah. And, and they're acting out in these dark, cavernous places. But, you know, I, my guess is that's not their first choice is to be destructive. We should have higher expectations. Yeah. Right? We should have higher expectations for our schools that our facilities live up to what they should be. And Jill, I, just on this topic, like I can't, this wasn't part of public comment, but it came up last night. And I don't want to lose it. Is the student rep last night on the school committee talked about being on the bus and actually being assaulted. when yeah. he, and, and he tried to minimize the assault by saying, well, it was when I was in second grade. For personal experience, I've gotten beat up on the bus before. So I'm, so, I mean... Granted, I was, like, in second grade and whatever. But, like, there's literally no oversight on a bus. And, Jill, I was, this was really, like. So painful to hear. So painful to hear. That he felt like he had to minimize it. Also, to this group of adults, and no one responded except for. Stephen Alkins. Right. A a child being um, beat up at any age on a bps bus doesn't matter especially if you're and especially you know you're a parent or something like that doesn't matter you know you're going to want to address it and to your point yeah the lack of either monitoring or oversight certainly needs to be addressed the school committee should be paying attention to the little things Um, and these little things are the big things i mean thank goodness that steven heard and responded very quickly that was really important i thought but I, I would have thought that would have stopped the whole meeting right it's a horrifying thing to hear yeah and then jill the last group of public comment really a, a facilities issue which is mostly families from the sumner and jill like we've talked a lot about facilities the mergers of schools and the you know we talked about the pa shot length in the past and the Sumner has really been the school that's been treated, I think, the most comprehensively from the district, right? There's been the most, like the Sumner community came out and said, hey, wait a minute, you're trying to do something to our school. We haven't been involved in it. We're not against it. We actually think there could be many pros and opportunities to partner with the Philbrook and merge together. But you got to give up, you got to listen to us and allow us to help you figure out how to make this successful, which I really respect that. I yeah. really respect when families say, We've seen you do mergers in the past and they haven't been so successful. We're willing to help make this successful, not only for our kids, but for other kids, right? right? And we heard from the Sumner parents last night that they haven't felt that way. We don't expect all of our requests to be met. We aren't asking to be pleased. We're asking that we and all similarly impacted schools are engaged in the planning process as partners with BPS. Even though they've been treated, I think they've been listened to the most, they're feeling very frustrated about kind of being treated like, yeah, we're listening, but not really listening. Well, we're not really but involved. the reason they're not really listening is because no one has a plan. Uh, you know, at, at, back at the district, there is no plan yet. There is no Green New Deal. There is There are some words. And yeah. then there's going to be a study. 
But really, like if you're a parent in the district or you're enrolling into the district, you're enrolling into giant question marks. If you're a parent right now and you're trying to figure out if you should choose BPS, based on those comments last night, you're not sure if you choose a school that that school won't close the following year. Right. Yeah, I know. So I would have expected that the district would have figured out how to communicate to families on these issues at this point. And it's pretty remarkable that the families of the Sumner continue to feel this way. Yeah, and and show up and to talk about it, Yeah. yeah. All right, Jill, we spent the majority of last night talking about transportation. Yep. And the buses. The buses. So, Jill, this is a topic that is not new. In fact, we'll post some articles in our blog that show how this is a problem that's been being discussed for the last, at least the last decade, if not longer. Goes back to at least Mayor Menino, right? Correct. BPS was always spending either the most money or the second most money in the country on transportation. And there was a lot of effort. We used to have three zones, three big zones, and students would be bused all over the city to go to school. And so as long as, you know, you were always going to be assigned a zone, but that meant that a lot of students who maybe lived next to a school in Chinatown would be bused to a school in Brighton, Mm -hmm. right? And there was no rhyme or reason for it. It was really like, that's how the assignment system worked. It was an algorithm and you would get assigned to these schools and you could potentially be bussed around town. And actually at this time, Mayor Menino said, we got to stop doing this. We got to move to more neighborhood-based school system, not only to rein in the transportation budget and to keep kids like from spending the majority of their day on a bus, but we, we have to invest in our neighborhoods and in the families saying that these are our neighborhood schools and we want to improve them and make yeah. them make them ours. So Mayor Renew at that time led a process that is our new home-based school system. So we have this new neighborhood-based school system that theoretically is supposed to have high-quality schools close to home. They're supposed to have special education programs close to home and ELL programs close to home that we would prevent transportation from getting out of control and we would stop moving kids around the city. And we still move kids all around the city. Yeah. We move kids all around the city, far away from their neighborhood for a variety of reasons, Number one, because there's no quality schools potentially close to their home. There's a bunch of failing schools around them and they don't want to go to those failing schools. Right. So they rather have their child be on a bus to yep. go to a better school. They also, their special ed programs sometimes, majority of times, are not near their home. Right. We sort kids all over the place. We put specialized programs in certain schools and we send kids sometimes very far away to get these services, both yep. for English language learners and for students with disabilities. So- We have done this as a city. We have decided that we have this new home-based system, but because we don't have quality schools and because we have programs in the wrong areas, we move our kids all around the city. Right. But also, Jill, Mayor Menino, he knew that we had to make some structural changes in how the bus system worked. Yeah. Right? That we needed to have some more flexibility. We needed to have some more innovation within that bus transportation system. And so he had made some moves, some leadership moves with the bus drivers union, in fact, and was sort of setting a stage Yep. for something new to take place. And then honestly, Joel- And right, he created flexibility, like contractual flexibility. He was he was working on creating some contractual flexibility. And then Mayor Reno left the mayorship yep. and the next mayor, we we sort of went right back to form. Yep. And the structure that was in place in that broken system is even more challenged 
yeah. this point. It's the same structure. Well, we, they're just it, the the contract got tightened up under Mayor Walsh and then really tightened up under Mayor Wu last year. And Brandon Cardet Hernandez mentions this last night. When we voted on that CBA side letter agreement, we knew that that meant we would not be able to work with any other vendors. And I think at some moment, this is like a sobering moment for us as a school committee, or at least for me as a school committee member, like we have to be able to say no to policies that are being presented to us as a governing body that we know are not good for the system. It it just created less and less flexibility if you really want to change the transportation system, like if there is a good idea, right? If you do gather all the data and you feed it into AI or a bunch of smart people and they decide, oh, here's a different way of moving kids around, much more efficient, much less costly, you you can't actually do it. Right. Contractually, it's very difficult very to difficult. do. So, so Jill, here's an, so we own all of our buses. Right. We own massive buses. We yeah. spend about, uh, about 10% of our entire school budget on moving kids around. Yep. By the way, by owning the buses, we have less flexibility about we could lease different vehicles. We could actually be leasing electric vehicles. We could have vans. We could have a whole bunch of different size vehicles, but we don't. But Jill, so 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 here's a really important factor, mm. a really important thing. Yeah. That the public may not know. We have no idea who rides a bus every day. BPS has no idea how many kids ride the school bus. BPS has no idea who rides the school bus. There's on the driver's list is the stops. Yeah. And sometimes kids get on at the stops and sometimes they don't. And sometimes 10 kids get on a stop and sometimes two do. The driver just knows to go to these stops. They don't know which kids. The district thinks they know who they route, who's eligible for transportation. And in fact, they've made a big stride. They actually ask families to opt out if they're not riding the bus. Mm -hmm. Before, Jill, they would just route for every kid. Just thinking they're eligible, so they're going to ride the bus. Now they ask families to opt out. So families could, if they choose to, opt out. Mm -hmm. Then their routes just go every day. And nobody knows if the kid is on the bus or off the bus. They have no idea. Meaning the child might walk to school. The parents might bring the child to school. They may go to the before school program. Right. They they think the same kids who go to the bus, uh, go to school every day in the bus, go home every day in the bus. No. Kids go to after school programs. How do you know this? All right. So Jill, in 2016... I used to work in Boston Public Schools and I did a project. I was actually, as a principal, I was always intrigued by the fact that we don't know who's on the bus because I would always get a call at least a few times a year from families and they would say, Ross, we don't know where Johnny is, yeah. a kindergartner typically. And I would say, okay. And I would say, what's going on? They said, well, he's never, he's ne- never came home. So I'd get in my car and I would drive the bus route. Uh, and I would look for Johnny. Yeah. And I'd always find Johnny. Yeah. And I would bring Johnny home. And he would typically get off at the wrong stop. So or... this is what happens, right? The bus drivers don't know that they don't know the students on the bus. Like they, they, in most cases, yeah. drivers don't know, they don't check off. Right. Did is Johnny getting on and off at the right stop? Right. So Johnny may be talking to his buddy. They may be like his buddy's stop comes up, he gets up, and Johnny gets up and they yeah. get off the bus. Yeah. And that's that. Is and, that because the bus drivers change? Sometimes the, the routes change, right? So the drivers the always routes, change in yeah. mid, in the fall. There's a re a rebidding of the contract. Sometimes there's absentees and coverage routes, and sometimes you know some. By the way, 
we have some phenomenal drivers, right? We have drivers who create a great culture yeah. on the bus and they know the students. And I think they would know the students, but yeah. My rec- but there's always the scenario in which the driver doesn't know the students or yeah. doesn't get to know the students. Yeah. Or Johnny just says, I'm going to get off with, right. with my buddy. Right. And the driver's like, okay. Yeah. No, nobody's paying attention to this, right? They just, they just right. go. And we this happens all the time. So I was kind of like, well, I wonder if we could figure out who's on the bus and, and we actually can know who's on the bus. And I wonder if we can get parents information about when their child gets on and off the bus. Because so that's it, helpful. It's helpful. Yeah. So in 2016, did this project where we put Bluetooth transponders in four schools, I think. Bluetooth transponders on backpacks of kids. Mm-hmm. And we had the families opt in. Mm-hmm. And then we put the Bluetooth reader on the bus. Mm-hmm. And the student would walk through the Bluetooth reader and the parent would get a text message saying, Johnny got on the bus at this time, at this spot. Mm-hmm. And then when Johnny got off the bus, the parent knew where they got off, yep. right? At the school or at their stop. And parents loved this, right? Yeah. And we ran this for a number, a number of weeks, a number of months. And it was highly successful. And we got to know like who actually rides a bus. But Jill, what we learned was that these buses, who we think is on the bus and who's actually on the bus, we're running the buses at like 20% capacity. Which is why every time I see a Boston Public School bus, there's like two people on yeah, the bus. Yeah, yeah we route it. Which thinking, I think Brandon Cardet Hernandez brought up last night. Yeah, yeah. Joe, they route buses yeah. to be 50% full. Oh. But the reality is, wow, the ridership is actually twenty percent of that. So you had that data, right? Yeah, yeah. And hmm. but I, but that is, I mean, that is that you do need that data. Like, like you cannot make a recommendation. I don't know how the you know great city schools made a recommendation last night without having the data of yeah. who's riding the There's bus. A, there was a Globe article that said we need to change start and end times. Yeah. Okay. Really? We have no idea who's actually on the bus. Right. How do we know what we need right. if we don't know our ridership? Right. It's an, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So Jill, the other thing that we found in this project in 2016 was that it was never consistent. That a student may go in the morning, mm. but they don't go they don't go home in the afternoon. They go to an after school program. So not on the afternoon bus. Mm. Or Monday and Friday they use the bus, but mm. not Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's always, and there's a pattern to it. And what we found was like, there's actually a lot of different scenarios. And if we just programmed our buses, if our buses responded to the, when our students ride them, right. we can create a much more efficient system because we're running a system pretending that all these kids are on the bus and they're not on the bus. Yeah. So when we talk about start and end times, or when we talk about you know, we need to create massive disruption in the system and change all start and end times or do these other things that are tweaking this archaic bus transportation system. We're ignoring the fact that we don't have data. Well, uh, luckily, there's going to be this group, right? Advisory group. So <laughs> yeah, but you're not on it. Fix it. But well, Joe, just I mean, I think for the advisory group members who are listening, Ross makes a very good point. We should know who's on the bus. It'd just be a good data point. Yeah, and Jill, this is for. like 2016. Like, there's better. There's better ways to do ways this to now. do this. Simple and, ways. But I do have ways. to say too. Like in 2016, we also there's a group that went to MIT with yeah. all with, and we actually had data, right? So we went to MIT with data and said, here's sort of what where we are. We we had a bunch of CEOs and other tech people, and, and saying, can you help us think about a, a different system, a more flexible system? Yeah. None of that. I haven't seen any of that. There's been nothing, no no pilots, no innovation, right. no like let's try to f- figure out if we can have in, like try something different. Zero. Yeah. There's been zero innovation. Is there political will to take on the transportation system and the bus yellow bus system in BPS? I would argue yes. Go ask families. Do you support yeah. the fact that we we have an uh, the ridiculous ask taxpayers. Right. Hey, 
do you support spending 125 million, million yeah, on right. yellow buses that are like 20% full? And people will say no. Right. They will follow a leader who wants to take on change. But instead, it seems like we just take the easy way out of this. If I was a school committee member, Jill, listening to the Council of Great City Schools report last night, which focused on two things, right? We focused on a number of things, kind of, right? They kind of said we do need better data, but they didn't really yeah. talk exactly much about that. They focused on bell times, which yeah. is, uh, it, we've been talking about bell times for 10 years, right. right? This is the easiest thing to talk about, right? It's a thing that will cause the mo most disruption and probably have the minimal effect yeah. on this archaic transportation right, system. Right, but we'll shake everything up and make everyone yeah, really. Yeah, pretend yeah. that we're really taking it on. It's a time waster. And then, Jill, we talk about families of students with disabilities. Yeah. And we say, we you know what? Them. We have too many bus monitors on the buses to take care of our students with disabilities riding the bus. We just heard, we know safety is an issue. We know there's other issues. Is that the issue? Is it really that we want more adults? And then the third thing they'd like to talk about is blaming everybody else. So the charter schools cause this. The Catholic school, we have to, we, we have to provide transportation for all these other groups. But so, so the chair brought this up. Could we literally create within B, within our own system, two separate systems so that we are having one set of systems that are only transporting BPS students and creating that other transportation system that creates, you know, the charters and the parochial schools so that we can see their impact upon our overall transporting. If we have fewer tiers of star times, would we be able better to manage getting our own students to school on time? By the way, Jill, they are all, these kids are our kids. Yeah. They reside in the city of Boston. Well, and she they was pay, appointed by the mayor they, and they're all the mayor's kids. They are kids. our kids. Yeah. They pay taxes. Yeah. The families pay taxes in the city of Boston. That funds the school system. Right. They are required to provide transportation for all kids. These are all our kids mm. to blame others is the wrong move. Yeah. If you can't handle it, then outsource it. Say, we are not capable. We'll hand it back to the city. Say, say, and, and if I'm a school committee member who has sat through this same report last night, the same content, you yeah. didn't have to have a new report for the Council of Great City Schools. You could have read the one in 2020. You could have read the one in 2016. You could have read the one before that. It's the same content. If you are sitting there at that table and you have been through all those reports, shame on you. This is your responsibility yeah. to say we have to fix this, but to sit through the same report saying we have a broken system that you have chosen not to fix is on your leadership. It's on you. And member Cardet Hernandez said, it's on me. He took responsibility. Yeah. He said, I voted for this contract and I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. We literally voted on it and then made it happen. And the results are the results, right? The solutions become the solutions as a result of, of our own vote. And I hope that maybe more members can begin to say, I actually need to step up and do something on a school committee versus sit here and just let this go and year after year pretend that this is new information when they've seen it before. But I think that it comes down to political will, right? And so, you know, there is this drumbeat of parents and families who are very frustrated with the system. I think if taxpayers knew we spent $120 million, I mean, we could give them $55 a day. 
Yeah, we're talking about right. like, we may be spending, I mean, we'll throw out a number because the district can't come up with a number. Yeah. So I'll come up with a number. Jill, I think we're spending maybe eight to ten thousand dollars for the kids who ride the bus yeah. on them each yeah. day, right? They 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 ride the bus. We're I think we may about eight to ten thousand dollars a year, which is about fifty-five bucks a day. Yeah. So what if we gave every family this came up, member credit and said, what if we just give families the money yeah. and let them figure it out? Yeah. Fifty-five dollars a day. Jeez. It's a lot what of ways that? to get my child to school That's with fifty-five dollars a day. Yeah, yeah. probably buy him breakfast too on the way there. Just hand it back to the city. Yeah, right. Why is the, why is transportation one hundred and twenty million dollars worth of transportation sitting, you know, under the purview of of Boston Public School School Committee? Uh, Jill, I would just say also like let's not get distracted, right? Don't get distracted by the headlines. Don't get yeah. distracted by what people are saying. Ask the question: Do we know who's on the bus? Yeah. Do we know who rides the bus? Answer is no. Should we know? Yes. Demand that the district figure out who's on our buses. Yeah. That was the presentation last night. But I have one other thing. I want to just revisit this idea of like what are the messages that are going out to families as they think about enrolling in BPS. We know enrollment's down in the Boston public schools, right? We know that's really concerning to our budget, to our schools. We have to make some very difficult changes ahead with our school buildings. We have too many open seats. We have too many buildings. Some difficult decisions lie ahead for us. And this is not unlike many other urban school districts. So Jill, I would argue that we should be making a concerted effort as a school system to encourage families to join the Boston Public Schools. But as of the meeting last night, here are a couple of messages that I'm really concerned about with families who may be thinking about wanting to come to BPS. First, our admissions. BPS runs enrollment late. Late as compared to... At charter, charter schools, schools and private, private schools. schools. So private schools and charter schools, they will begin to tell students if they get in, I believe in March, something yep. around that fact. Yeah. And BPS will tell them weeks later. Some private schools will ask for deposits that, yeah. are non, you know, that, that are binding, binding. commitments. Yeah. And the district continues to be really late in their assignments. Massive issue. It was raised last night again. Yeah. No solution to it. We are not enticing families to come to BPS if we basically all the competitors, private and charter schools, tell them first, you can come to our school and make them binding. Yeah. Second, Jill, the district is giving without a master plan, without the Green New Deal plan, without the master facility plan or build BPS, the district is creating massive uncertainty for parents who are choosing schools. A parent who may choose the summer next year has no idea what their future of the summer is. Right. A parent who may choose the Shaw, the PA Shaw, has no idea if that school will close and merge in their school. There's no certainty. And at any given time, the district may tell families that their school is closing. That uncertainty doesn't work and will not entice people to want to come to BPS. It's not good marketing. Jill, the talking about start and end times and minimizing bus aids is also not enticing people to want to come to BPS. No. If parents don't can't choose a school, when they know the start and end time based on their jobs that they need to figure out before care, after care, yeah. and put the puzzle together, knowing that the district may just change all the start and end times after they choose a school doesn't help create certainty, doesn't entice families to want to come to the school district. Right. Jill, lastly, safety. Having kids and teachers feel unsafe in schools, in and around schools, having bathrooms that are disgusting and broken doesn't entice people to want to enter this system. So the district can put all the ads they want on the MBTA saying, please come to the Boston Public Schools. But until you fix these issues, these messages, people are not going to want to come 
to the Boston Public Schools. That's what happened last night at Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. And if you'd like to share a thought that we may use in a future episode, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-261-5904. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.